Well, hey, uh, it is good to have you here this morning. And again, if I haven't said it already, we pray that you feel encouraged and welcomed and loved here in this place. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to do that uh, after worship. If you're, if you're just getting caught up uh, with us uh, and uh, getting on board here, we have been in this series of messages called God's Big Ten for the last several weeks. And uh, we're getting towards the tail end of that. This is our last week uh, in that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're going to start uh, this morning. We've been going through this series and experiencing God's commands. And if you've just, um, you know, missed a few of them, but you got the general idea, I hope that you have it in your head and most importantly in your heart now that God's commands to us, that his rules are not simply just rules that, that are meant to weigh us down as burdens, but they're boundaries that are meant to bring us and point us to life and to freedom. And so we're following this along today, and uh, we're in Exodus 20, and we're all the way up to verse 17. As you open up your Bibles, I know that we, we do this thing called the Bible reading every, every week uh, in, uh, in our worship services here, and we ask you, uh, hey, open up your Bibles. When we say open up your Bibles, we hope that they're your Bible, and that's why we encourage you, those Bibles that are on the ends of the rows, those are for you to take home. It's, it's our hope, it's our prayer, it's our dream that every single one of you would walk through those doors every single week with a Bible in your hand. If you don't have one, that's what those are for. But wouldn't it be amazing if your Bible was so battered and torn and bruised because of how much you used it Monday through Saturday? Wouldn't that be awesome? I think that's God's goal for us. Jesus says that my, I, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the word, I'm the bread of life. So just as you wouldn't think going a day without eating, it would be our hope, our dream, our prayer that for every single one of us, that Sunday morning would not be the first time or the last time that you crack that Bible open during the week. Amen? That you're doing that every single day because you need that nourishment. You need that filling. And so that's our encouragement to you, that every single day that you would be opening up God's word. I, I spent some time away on vacation uh, this past week, and I, I, got out of, I got out of my routine. And it was weird. So something wasn't right. And I got home and I got into the Word. And the first time that my wife and I started reading this together, we just kind of looked at each other and went, why, why don't we do this more often? Have you ever had one of those moments where you're kind of away from it for a while? Or you haven't spent time in prayer and scripture? Like, this is so good. This is so good. This is not just something that we teach the Sunday school kids. This is for all of us. So I really want to encourage you to do that. It is nourishment for your soul. It's why we're here in worship every single week. It is so, so Good. So if you found Exodus 20, pretty easy to find towards the beginning of your Bible, right after Genesis, Exodus chapter 20. If you've got it, say, I'm there. I'm there. there. Awesome. We're there. Awesome. You're there together. Exodus 20. We pick up in verse 17. We are going to lump the ninth and 10th commandments together. Nine and 10 kind of lumped together. It's the same God's heart, the same general idea here. So verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, some of you are here this morning looking at that, and at first glance, I'd say most of us are thinking, sweet, (laughs) I can totally check out on this one. 
There, I mean, seriously, preacher boy, there's no way that this commandment applies to me. I'm seriously, when is the last time that I, 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 the last time I checked when I call, when I go home and I call for our servant to come clean our kitchen and do our laundry, uh, nobody comes. Uh, anybody have that similar experience, right? Like you look at the pile of laundry or your messy kitchen and, oh, somebody will do it. You know, I kind of joke with my wife, you know, the maid will be here soon. Uh, No, they never come, right? So this one can't apply to me. You might be saying, you know, I can't say uh, this past week I went around to all my friends who live on farms here in Des Moines and I just couldn't take my eyes off their livestock. I was just coveting their oxen, right? Anybody do that this week? Okay, that's kind of what I thought, right? So some of you are thinking, you know, this is not me. This has nothing to do with me. But before you check out, let me just ask you this question here this morning. Let me ask you this. Are you completely full? Are you completely full this morning? And no, I'm not just asking from, from breakfast that you had here or when you, before you came. Uh, are you completely satisfied with life this morning? Are you full? But it turns out that is the exact invitation that Jesus has for us. Let's look up on the screen. This is from John chapter 10, verse 10, and let's read it together with some oomph and some gusto this morning, all right? Let's read it together. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I wonder this morning, have you found that life? Have you found that life? Is your, is your soul completely satisfied? In other words, are you completely, the word is, content with what you have, with what you own, and not just your possessions, but are you completely content in all of your relationships, in your relationship status, in how successful you perceive that you are thus far in life? Are you completely content with your job? Or where that's at in your abilities? Are you completely satisfied with your identity, with what you believe about yourself, with your image, with your outward appearance? Are you content? Are you completely satisfied? Now, if the answer to all those is yes, then praise God for you. That's great. Then maybe you can check out. But I think if we're honest and if you're anything like me, we're far from full. We're far from satisfied and we will do anything to fill that hunger, to fill that void, to satisfy the craving. Enter commandments number nine and 10. Maybe this has a little bit more to do with an old saying about your neighbor's farm animals. Maybe it has something to do with you and I more than we think. Maybe it's in all of us. So what is it? What is this coveting thing all about? Think about it this way. A couple weeks ago, uh, I trust a lot of you were here uh, when uh, our intern pastor Josh talked about stealing. Do you remember that? Josh talked about stealing. Thou shalt not steal. And it turns out that has a little bit more to do with us than we thought as well. This word stealing in the original Hebrew, in the original language that the Old Testament was written in, this word for stealing is ganav. Everybody say ganav. Ganav. It means thievery or, or to steal, but it also means this. The deceptive inner disposition that accompanies the action. So my motive in stealing is that there's something that I don't have that I want, right? So stealing is that, but as I look at that description, I wonder, maybe that's what coveting is all about. The deceptive 
inner disposition, the lie that we believe in our hearts that says, I will never have enough. Desire leads to coveting, which many times can lead to stealing, as we understand that broader definition of stealing. It's that inner disposition. It's that lie that says, I will never have enough. I'll never have enough love. I'll never have enough time. I'll never have enough pleasure, enough acceptance, enough intimacy, enough love. There's something that I'm missing in my life. If if you can imagine this with me, this is where you are today. This is your reality. And obviously, you're not fully satisfied with where you're at. And every single one of us has a picture, our ideal picture of the future of where we want to be in life. And what we'll do is we'll do anything to get from here to there, to fill that void, even if it's without God. And and, and, and we'll, we'll act on that. To take what's not yours, we normally call that stealing, but before that, the inner disposition, that's the coveting. That's the coveting. When the desire that we have, that I'm here, and I want that, and this is not good enough, and that's going to satisfy me, the lie that we believe, when that desire turns to greed, to envy, to that craving, to an obsession over a certain picture of the future, even to lust, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, all those emotions, all those evil desires that we all have, they're all in here, (laughs) They're all in here. And so the danger is, and the tricky thing with this commandment is that a lot of times you can't see it. The only person that knows about it is you and the God who made you. Turns out God's not just concerned in these Ten Commandments. He's not just concerned with our actions, what we do with these desires. He's concerned with what's going on in here. And because it's going on inside of our hearts, coveting is really hard to describe. Coveting is a hard thing to get our minds around. So I thought, hey, let's simplify it a little bit. What, what, would, what would this look like in real life? So, so I thought it would help. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a video, a real-life case study of some kids that were placed in a very vulnerable position. And these kids, if you look closely, they're going to learn a hard lesson in wanting something, in coveting, in wanting something that is not theirs to take. Let's take a look and see if you can resonate with these boys and girls. Let's watch. Oh, man. The waiting is so hard, right? The agony, the pure agony on all of their faces. Some of those looks are just priceless, right? Oh, right? And we laugh and we giggle, especially just, you know, the the two fisted stuff there at the end. Those looks... Those feelings, those cravings, that agony on the inside that that is not mine and I want it, that's coveting. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You say, oh, gee whiz, John, just give it a rest. Like, these are small children. Those are marshmallows. It seems so innocent, right? It's harmless, The truth is that the marshmallows never go away, do they? So what is it for you? The marshmallows never go away. We are surrounded of a world with ideas and pictures and images and people that stare us in the face every day that we think will satisfy, that we think will fill that 
craving, those things that do not belong to us. And what we do is we place our affections on those. I have to believe that those kids were not thinking about anything else but what was right in front of them. Then what was right in front of them. They're not thinking about anything else. I have placed my affections on there. And what we do is we say, if only I had fill in the blank, then I'd be satisfied. If only I could get, if only I had, because what happens when it's not so harmless anymore? What happens when the marshmallow that's sitting right in front of you is somebody else's life? Is somebody else's success? Is somebody else's spouse? Not so harmless. Covening says, I can't be satisfied. I can't be okay in life. I won't be satisfied. I won't be full until I have. The problem is, when we live life like that, there's always another blank to fill in. Have you noticed? That as soon as you get that desire met, as soon as you fill in that blank, then it's, oh, now there's another thing. You know, we laugh about the idea of chasing the the proverbial carrot that's in front of us or the marshmallow, what, what is that for you in your life this morning? In fact, I was meeting with a friend a few months back, and uh, we got together and, and met at the church building there, and he probably spent the first 45 minutes of our counseling session, our, our time together, telling me all the reasons in his life, essentially, that that blank has not been filled in. He, he spent 45 minutes telling me all the way from, I haven't found love because everybody I meet doesn't really understand me. Uh, I can't find a job without annoying coworkers and a boss that's a jerk. Um, you know, all the way to, I can't really find true community because my friends, nobody initiates hanging out. My small group is so shallow because nobody gets it. On and on and on and on. And don't get me wrong, there is a time for compassion. We talked about this. I listened. We prayed together. There's a time for compassion. And then there's a time for speaking the truth in love. There's a time for a heart check. And so I asked, brother, can I, can I just ask you a question? And maybe just kind of ask this of yourself this morning. I said, he said, sure. I said, when will it ever be enough? What? What? I don't understand, he asked. I said, when will it ever be enough? I said, fill in the blank for me, would you? I will be okay when... And he just kind of sat there with a deadpan look on his face. How would you fill in the blank this morning? I will be okay when... And he thought about it, and I could tell he was just about to speak, and then he... Hmm... I said, brother, I want to speak the truth and love to you right now, and this is what I observe. You have created a life where your ability to find joy and peace and satisfaction is purely based on what you think life seems to owe you rather than what God says you already are and what you already have. I'm not telling you to settle far from that. I'm asking you to check your heart. When Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly and have it to the full, I said, what if that was possible regardless of your circumstances? Like, when when we read that at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, do you just think, oh, you know, 
that's possible when you fill in the blank, whatever that looks like for you, or is it just possible? Coveting says there is some other anchor to my soul than Jesus Christ. It's not him, it's something else, and if it's something else, it's going to be fleeting. It's going to be changing because the only thing that stays the same in this life is Jesus Christ and his love for you. So if you have some other anchor that's weighing you down, that is your, that is your center of life, you are always going to be looking for the next thing to satisfy. So in light of that, what I want to do next is I want to unpack two main reasons why coveting is serious, why God puts it here at the very end of the Ten Commandments. So it's the last thing that we read. It's the thing that really sums up all the rest of them. Why is coveting so dangerous to our relationship with God? Reason number one, coveting hurts others. So if you're keeping score at home, write that down. Number one, coveting hurts others, particularly those that we love. Coveting hurts others. So back to Exodus 20. Do you have your Bibles? I hope you have your Bibles, right? Everybody has their Bibles. Exodus chapter 20. Take a look at that. And we hear God say this, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, and get this, or anything else that is your Neighbors. Now, some of you read that and say, oh, I don't have any of those things. But when it says anything else, we know God says this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. And when he uses the language here of house, what he means is household. And in those days, your household wasn't just your possessions and what you have. It was your status in life. It was your stage of life, your season that you're in. It was your achievements. It was your abilities. Coveting somebody else's stuff is one thing, but what happens when the marshmallow that you're obsessed with, that you you can't live life to the full until you have that, what happens when the marshmallow is their marriage? Because you know, the intimacy they have is so much better than the intimacy that I have with, with my spouse. Why can't we have that? You know, what happens when the marshmallow is the fact that they have kids and you don't. What happens when the marshmallow is, well, how well-behaved their children seem to be compared to mine? The size of their kid's birthday party compared to mine. The perceived joy and peace that they seem to have. See how easy life seems to be for them. You know, their prayer life. They have this connection with God and I can't figure it out. I must just not be smart enough to have a great prayer life. All those things. And here's, here's the thing. The reason that coveting is hardly ever based in reality, get this. We spend most of our time in life comparing our real life behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel. Let that one soak in for a second. We spend most of our time in life comparing our reality, our authentic behind the scenes, the messiness of our lives, we compare that to everybody else's highlight reel. And so without realizing, we forget that they're probably carrying burdens that you know little about. The people sitting around you here this morning are carrying burdens and going through things in their life that you probably know nothing about. And without realizing it, we put everybody else around us, especially those that seem to be a little bit more spiritual, 
up on this pedestal that we'll never be able to attain. And it's not just with celebrities. Like, that's one thing. Like, I get that. We all get that. Like, yeah, I wish I was playing in the NBA. You know, I'd be, I'd be uh, the chaplain of the team, right? But that, I, I, I would like to do that, right? It's one thing when it's like out there and it's when celebrities, you know, I wish I was LeBron James or whatever that is, right? But often the coveting happens with the people sitting around you this morning. It happens with your family. It happens with your friends, the people that you love and, and care about the most. And instead of being brothers and sisters we love, the people that you love the most become objects and targets of our jealousy. Huh. They got a promotion? Really? <laughs> they got married before I did? They got married to them? Really? They already got pregnant? What do you mean they bought a house? There's no way they can afford a house. I'm sure they're really in debt. What do you mean they send their kids to a private school? They went on vacation where? How can they afford that? All of a sudden, these people that we're called to love, we, we make it personal against them. And here's my question. With whom are you playing the comparison game this morning? In culture, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Like that's just normal. God calls it sin. God calls it coveting. When that desire turns into greed and jealousy and whatever those things are. And the danger is most of the time we do this privately. And our coveting of the people that are around us, most often it looks like gossip. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they did? It looks like lying. It looks like judging. So the first question is, with whom are you playing the comparison game? And number two, how is your relationship with those people? Is it strong? Is it healthy? No, it's not. How, here's, <laughs> if something goes good for them, we're jealous. If something goes wrong for them, because we're trying to make ourselves look better and get ahead, we're secretly celebrating inside. Am I the only one that's ever done this? Okay. So you know what that's like. Can you have a good, healthy, loving relationship with somebody that you're jealous of? No, that's really hard. The Bible says, as God's family, as his church, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice, rejoice and we're called to mourn with those who so can I be authentically happy for somebody that I'm competing with? That's tough. Can I authentically empathize and have compassion for somebody who I'm trying to beat? No. That's tough. Coveting doesn't allow us to do either. It doesn't allow us to be healthy family, which is the goal of church. It doesn't allow us to be healthy brothers and sisters. So coveting hurts others, but not only does it hurt others, it hurts you. Regardless of what you think effect it has on other people, coveting hurts us. It hurts ourselves, and here's why. Because it's primarily internal, not external. Up until this point, all, have you noticed all the other Ten Commandments have primarily dealt with the external, with our relationship with God, our relationship with others. Don't steal things out there. Don't murder anybody out there. Don't lie when you're out there. But this commandment is primarily in here. 
You can be coveting and nobody else would know except for you and God. And this makes it very, very dangerous because it can eat away at our hearts and it can destroy our trust in God without anybody knowing. And so what it reveals to us is that God not only sees our works and hears our words, he knows our hearts. Like God has this giant spiritual stethoscope or whatever the magic equipment they have these days, right? They can know exactly what's going on in your heart. Your heart's not just a physical organ. It's the very center of who you are. That's why scripture says, guard your heart above all else. God says, man is really primarily concerned with the outward appearance. I'm primarily concerned with what's going on inside of you this morning that nobody else knows about. That's God's heart for you. He's interested in all of us. And, and I don't know about you, but here's the thing. I pray for myself, and I pray for you. I pray that there is no difference between the way that I treat others in my heart and in my mind. I pray there's no difference between that and how I treat them to their face when I'm with them. You following me? So when you're thinking those thoughts, when you're coveting, when you're jealous, when you're envious, when you're coveting, whatever you're doing to get from here to there, my challenge for you is to think, would I feel comfortable telling that person to their face what I'm thinking about them in my heart? I don't know. Heart check. Heart check. That's what this commandment is all about. That's living in freedom, is when I can be the same person no matter who I am and where I'm, who I'm with. And so if we're honest, when we covet, we're waiting for the there. We're here and we're waiting for the there, for the picture of ideal. And honestly, waiting is hard, isn't it? Waiting is hard. The, the temptations, but also the good desires that we have. A lot of you, all of us are sitting here this morning with desires, with the longings that we have. And a lot of them are pure and they're holy, but they can so easily turn into greed and bitterness and ultimately distrust of God. Waiting is hard. And I realize that for some of you this morning, There are some issues, there are some things that you are waiting for in your life, some unmet desires that are really, really sensitive. I get that. And I don't want to just shove them under the rug. They're sensitive. So what do we do, you might ask? What do we do in the space between here and there? Because until Jesus comes back and sets everything right, there's always going to be this tension. There's always going to be this space between. So what do we do with it? How do we beat coveting? How do we stop doing that? Everybody take your fist like this and put your hand underneath it. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I want you to make your best face that looks like this guy. All right? Okay? So everybody, you got your fist ready? You got your face ready? Right? Everybody say, crush it. Everybody say, crush it. Crush it. All right. That was my favorite slide of all time right there. That's my son. No, it's not. I wish it was. Um, Crush it. So I want to give you three ways as we wrap up today. I want to give you three ways that we can do what? Crush it. Three ways to crush coveting. You like the alliteration there? I worked all week on that one, right? Three ways to crush coveting. If you're uh, keeping track at home, uh, number one, cultivate faithfulness. Everybody say cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. Psalm 37, chapter 4. Unfortunately, in a lot of Christian circles, there's this verse that gets thrown around and is supposed to be the answer to all of our unmet desires in life. Psalm 37, verse 4. Let's read this together up on the screens. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
How many have heard that verse before? You familiar with that? Okay, quite a few of you, right? So we read that, and, and our initial reaction is to go, wow, I've got a lot of unmet desires. Whatever those are, they're relational, they're physical, things that you own, the image of who you want to be and your identity. I've got all these unmet desires in my life, and so all I have to do is work really, really hard to delight in God, to read my Bible, and to pray every day, and to be a good little Christian, and when I've been good enough for God, then he'll give me what I want. Couple problems with that. Number one, it's not in the Bible. That's not what God says. And number two, whenever we take a verse out of context, we end up missing the point. So instead, I want to go and look at Psalm 37. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. Psalm 37. But I want you to look back in verse 3. And I'm going to use a little different translation here than what you have, but the idea is the same. Before we get to delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you everything you want, or he'll give you the desires of your heart, the verse says this, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now look what's after it. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Did you catch the verse long before getting whatever we want? <laughs> Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So God is saying, instead of navel-gazing at yourself, instead of navel-gazing and, and, and turning inward on yourself and just seeing everything that, that I don't have every single day and falling into that deadly trap of comparison, this entire passage is actually about cultivating faithfulness, about dwelling in the land, about putting our roots down. Cultivating, I think of, uh, of a plow out in a field, turning up the soil, making it receptive, making it moldable, making the seed able to be planted. And so instead of placing my hope and my joy for fullness solely on the next relationship or the next stage of life or the next job to satisfy, Psalm 37 says, dwell. Cultivate faithfulness. Live deeply and committed where you are. And while you're there, be so focused on becoming a man or woman of integrity. Be so focused on being faithful with the simple things of life, of living in grace and humility. When we cultivate faithfulness, we're not just going through life asking, why God? Why did you let that happen? How could you do this to me? We're asking also the question, God, who am I becoming along the way? What kind of a person am I becoming along the way? And notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, suck it up. It never says, stop desiring. That's one of the biggest lies that we believe as Christians. It doesn't say, shut down your heart. It actually says, get moving. Trust, dwell, cultivate, get busy living. It's quite the opposite of killing your desire. You know what, everybody, you know what, crush it. You know what crushes coveting? Passionate living for the things of God. Passionate living for the things of God. Serve outside of yourself. Give away your time and your possessions and your gifts. Ask God to fuel the desires of whole, in holy ways every single day. Do the small act of surrender every single day. If there's any group of people who knows what daily surrender with daily acts of surrender looks like, it's these Olympic athletes that we've been watching the last several weeks. Has anybody missed the Olympics? I'm I seriously the only one. Does anybody watch the Olympics? 
Okay, three of you. So that you'll get this. Okay, great. Uh, it was this little sporting event that was on TV the last time. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. Um, well, I did. I watched it, and I think I'm having Olympic withdrawal. Uh, I really, really uh, got into this, and one of my favorite things uh, was watching the bobsled. And what I realized about halfway through the Olympics, you know that scene on Home Alone when he's home and, and he gets a sled, and his stairs line up perfectly with the front door, and he sleds right out the front of his house? Our steps are like that at my house. And so what I was going to do, I told my wife she didn't let me do it. I was going to get my 11-month-old son, and we were going to do the two-man bobsled uh, on a sled down my front steps and right out the front doors of my house. That's the same reaction that Tiffany had. She said, not over my dead body you're doing that. Um, that is not a good idea. But that, that was what I was excited about. I never got around to it. Uh, maybe 2018. Uh, I'll give that a try. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. How do you think those Olympic athletes got from here to there? How do you think they got from where they were to where they wanted to be? Sitting around, wondering why all the other countries are better and more fit. I'm sure most of the U.S. Olympic athletes just woke up every day, you know, complaining, jealous of those who had already won medals. No, I don't think so. What they probably did every day was cultivate faithfulness. The daily surrender, get this, the daily surrender of knowing I can't control the outcome, but I am committed to this training to becoming the man or woman of God that I've been called to be. I can't control the outcome, but what I can commit to is being the man or woman that I've been called to be. Coveting will never work because in a world that screams it'll never be enough, Jesus says, look at me. Trust me. If I've taken care of eternity for you, don't you think that I can take care of Monday morning? Don't you think that I can take care of your desire for a spouse? Don't you think that I can take care of your marriage? Don't you think I can take care of that big decision that you need to make? Our desire to find purpose in life, whatever it is, in a way that could not be more countercultural. Paul says this, and we've hit on this verse the last several weeks because it is so vital to living out the Ten Commandments. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And let's read this last part together, verse 12 and 13. Let's read it together up on the screen. I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What? Content? Is that even possible? You're asking in my stage of life, in my situation of life, right? There's so many things that are not yet in my life. You're saying I can actually be content. Paul says yes. Never mind the fact that when Paul is writing this, he's sitting in a cold, dark, damp jail cell. Content. Paul says, yes, it is absolutely possible. Covening says, my circumstances will never be enough. Paul says, there is an anchor to my soul and his name is Jesus Christ. And knowing him doesn't always mean a change in my circumstances, but what it means is that I have a God who promises to walk with me every single day, no matter what I'm going through in my life, reminding me of the truth over and over and over again. I am enough. 
I am enough for you. I am enough for you. Filling your heart and mind with the truth of who you are this morning. That you have nothing to prove. That you have nothing to earn. That God says, I have created you. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You don't need to go anywhere else looking for significance because you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It doesn't get any more significant than that. Amen? You can clap. That's fine. Lutherans clap. It doesn't get any more significant than that. So why do we have to keep running to all these other places to get that? You already have it. You couldn't be more rich because you know the king of kings. You couldn't be more satisfied because you know the king of kings. Paul says there's something deeper about me. There's something that weighs me down when the, war, when the whirlwinds and the storms of life come my way. There is an anchor to my soul and his name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? We crush coveting with contentment. Not because contentment is passivity, because it's letting your soul be at rest. Resting in him, worshiping him. And last but not least, there probably could not be a better way to do what? There could not be a better way to crush coveting than worship. And I got a a firsthand glimpse of this several months back. I was sitting in the living room of Cindy and Freddie. And many of you know them. There are a couple here at Hope Des Moines with their family. And they would just receive some very, very difficult news about Freddie's heart. And so instead of me telling you the story, I'll let Cindy catch you up and tell you the story. Let's take a look. My name is Cindy Windsor, and I've been going to Hope about four or five years. About a year and a half ago, my husband, who was very, very athletic, very fit, became very sick and found out that he had heart failure. At the same time, I am pregnant with our son, and at 35 weeks pregnant, after many visits here, hospital visits here, he was sent by ambulance to Mayo in Rochester. I followed, he stayed, and ended up having open heart surgery with me delivering a baby a week after his recovery. Watching him be so sick is really, really difficult. And it makes me a little emotional just because he's so sick and it's really difficult to just watch him, his health fail from, going to, from being so fit and so active to being so not. And I guess I kind of heard this little, this little quote and it probably isn't exact, but it's the idea of while we wait for God to open the next door, we praise him in the hallway. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. Like, in the meantime, we still have to give glory to him and thank him for all the blessings we have. So even now, as Freddie's really sick in the hospital again, we are able to go up and see him and he can just, he can just really enjoy watching this little baby through video and FaceTime and we get to go see him. And so it keeps his spirits up. Otherwise, I don't know where his thoughts would go. So I, he has said, he has said before, I think Zion saved my life. Like his, that little spirit that God gave us has really, has changed it all. And so praise God, as of a few weeks ago, Freddie got a brand new heart. So praise God for that. Absolutely. Um, Getting, getting that call was pretty exciting, but the, uh, the many months leading up to waiting for that was hard. 
because the Windsors were here and literally saving Freddie's life was there. So what do you do in the space between? So several months ago, I remember sitting in the living room with them. I went over to visit them when, when Freddie was home from the hospital and we were reading scripture and we were praying together. And all I could think of is they have every right to covet. <laughs> Why us, God? Why did this happen to us? She's 35 weeks pregnant and her husband needs a heart to live. If, they, if anybody has any right to covet, it's them saying, I want that life. I, w- I would rather take anybody else's life but ours. And they would covet unless there was an anchor to their soul. Name Jesus Christ. And which is why Cindy asked Kim, our, our worship leader, to bring her guitar. And so there we sat in their living room, not knowing if he's going to live or not, <laughs> worshiping, singing Forever Rain, You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me, with our hands raised, weeping together in their living room, in the space between, here and there. Um, and this isn't the only story like this that's going on in our community I just I was there and that might have been one of the most powerful experiences of worship that I've ever had because I want you to know this when we sing the songs at the beginning of worship and we're going to worship here in a little bit when we sing these songs folks it is not an empty ritual I'm sitting there in the living room watching a man that if he doesn't get a new heart He might die raising his hands and worshiping God, not because of how he's doing, but because of how good God is. I can certainly come in here on Sunday morning and have plenty of things to worship God about, no matter what is going on in my life. You want to crush it? You want to crush coveting in your life? Worship. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed and we're worshiping and some of you do this and I do this once in a while, but you look around and there's some of these weird people that are like raising their hands in worship and you kind of look around and go, weirdos, like that can't be Lutheran. Like why, why are you doing that, right? Because all the time we spend our lives going through life saying, I need that and I need that and I need that and I need all these things to be happy and we fill our lives with so many things that we'll never fulfill and we come in here on Sunday morning and we're so full. Can you imagine that maybe worship is letting it go and saying, no, actually, you're all I need. So before you look to the person that's a crazy Jesus freak and you start judging them, maybe they're just letting it go. Try that sometime. Not just on Sunday mornings. You know that you can worship God in your living room? Anytime. Anywhere. Giving praise to the God that loves you right where you are in the space between. Amen?